Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively, in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. Today's guest is a visionary entrepreneur with 25 years plus of startup and corporate experience building lifestyle and content platforms with world-class brands, including Amazon, Audible, a personal addiction right now. I am going through so many Audible books, it's not even funny. Uh, Walmart, Craft, Sony Music, American Airlines, Disney, and numerous other media outlets. Um, as CEO of Todo Baby, please pronounce that in or think of that in a Spanish accent, not French, uh, for 10 years. And together with an all-female executive team, they raised $15 million in 2008, which was unheard of for a female, all-female team. That is just incredible and had a really nice public exit in 2012 with Entravision and all women. Like I said, it was back then. I was so impressed when I read that and started digging in in a wormhole there. I read, I just finished um, Julie Borstein's book mm -hmm. um, and you should be in that. You should reach out to her and, and talk to her about that. Um, in that role, she was responsible for literally hashtag all things content, content creation, execution across multiple media channels, operations, marketing, sales, you name it. She did it. Um, I can't imagine what a ride that must have been, and I can't wait to hear the stories. After her exit, she founded and is the managing partner of, uh, oh, I'm going to get this wrong again, Luminia, can you say it for me, please? Luminacion. <laughs> Luminacion, where she advises clients at the intersection of culture, content, and commerce on how to develop new opportunities by integrating brand and content to create monetizable moments. She's an in-demand writer, speaker, and advisor to a variety of outlets from Ford's to Forbes, to Digital Hollywood, Jupiter Research, and Marketing to Moms. I got to look that one up. Um, as well as if she's not busy enough, she's an advisor and serves on several boards. And I think I love this most of all. She's an active investor in female-led companies. A native of Southern California, she currently resides in Manhattan with her husband, Niles, and Pup Sugar. What kind of pup is Sugar? She's a mixed breed, uh, part boxer, part Australian cattle dog. Oh, my goodness. Super so smart. Very smart, very sweet, super quiet. She's not in here right now. All right. Well, working outside of my window and she got all freaked out. So she's, she's so, welcome, Cynthia Nelson. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much for reaching out. Um, love the podcast. Love what you're doing. I can't wait to promote this to so many amazing women that I know that I, I can give you a, a long laundry list of people that should be on it. Oh, fantastic. I'm always looking for, for guests. So, um, so there's so many things that I want to dig into. Um, like I said, as I was, as, as I was writing the intro, I just, I couldn't, it took me way longer because I kept digging into everything. It was just, it was amazing. Um, but as you know, I asked my guests uh, four questions, so we'll get going on that if you're ready. Awesome. Let's go. All right. So what was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? I really, really wanted to have a horse ranch. <laughs> All right. <laughs> My whole goal in life, I think I did ride for many, many years uh, and it was great and amazing. And I realized this is really fun, but wow, this is an expensive habit. <laughs> the one was, was an artist. So I was a fine art major that was like, oh, hey, I'm pretty good, but wow, these people are way better than me. So maybe business would be a better idea. <laughs> Do you remember who the first big influencer in your life was? I probably, I would say my parents really. Um, they were, they were odd in the way that they were married in 1946. So just post-World War II. 
And we weren't born uh, until the 60s. So they were married a really long time before they had kids, um, not intentionally. Uh, but uh, and I was adopted, actually. My brother is a natural child, but I was adopted. And um, it, they were just really interesting people in a way. My dad sold airplanes for a living with McDonnell Douglas, now Boeing, right? So he was all over the world. So he was in, you know, all over Latin America, all over uh, Asia, all over Europe. So any anytime someone buy an airplane, he was, you know, he was there for several months at a time. And my mom really was, you know, a stay-at-home mom the entire time. However, what I realized as I got older was she was a rock star because she was mom and dad. It wasn't like, wait till your dad gets home, this is going to happen. <laughs> you know, it was, we're dealing with this at this moment right now. And, and she really allowed both of us to be kids and just have a really good time and have fun and not worry about anything. I never saw my dad's paycheck. I tried one time my, on my on the way to the bank, nosy, you know, and my mom just like, You're, yeah, that's not your business. And it was really, you know, incredible in that way. Again, she wasn't working, but she was really working. Oh yeah. I, I, the same thing. And, and it's, it's something you don't realize until you're older, but you look back and, and look at all, like, they stay-at-home moms back in like 60s, yeah. 70s, 80s, yeah. uh, they were the quintessential ops CEO, yeah. right? They were the COOs of like, because everything got done. Everything. Nothing fell through the cracks. It was, and they yeah. volunteered and you had lunch and you had dinner and your clothes were clean and yeah. yeah. Everything, everything was done. And the other thing was, you know, she balanced the checkbook to the penny she paid all the bills. So she had all the financial requirements and control because my dad was gone. Right. He, he wasn't there. So all that stuff had to get done. And she was the one to do it. And she balanced it all with, with a smile, which is amazing as well. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> is there a song that epitomizes your career path? It's so funny. When I saw that question, I was like thinking of all these songs. You know, I, I, I think everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears. One, I happen to really like that song and I don't know why they're not licensing it more, but maybe they're, they charge too much to license it to brands. But uh, I think everybody does want to rule the world or real, at least the world that they're in their own environment and break the rules and do things their own way. So I, I think that one is, and I definitely have not followed a, a straight and narrow path whatsoever. No. And you know what? The most interesting careers are like that, right? Sharp left yeah. turn here and, you know, backtrack and U-turns. It's, um, it's fun sure. to look back and, and see. <laughs> and then kind of like, wow, why did I do that? Wow. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We've all had a few of those moments, I think, for sure. Yeah. What are the three words that you'd use to describe yourself or your career? Maybe both. Um, interestingly enough, I did a survey recently that I set out on LinkedIn and to a bunch of other friends about, you know, what's my superpower kind of thing and the words that they would use to describe me just to, to I was kind of seeing it from both sides. And I think the big things that came out were, uh, self-motivated, um, excited. Uh, and the other one was, um, a, st a strategic, those were kind of the three things that overall uh, came out as the highest rated, which I thought pretty much matched. Yeah, I, I absolutely would align <laughs> to say that, that those are pretty bang on for you. Yeah. So 
as I said throughout the intro, there are so many things that I love to hear more about. I mean, you started in the PC business. So I have to ask you, are you still a PC girl or have you come over to the light and work on a Mac? I, I, I moved over to the light when we had Total Bebe because our editors were using Macs to edit the, um, the television show. Yeah. So if I wanted to see it in, in the studio, I wanted to actually look at clips. The Mac was just better. So we, I, I, I moved over to Mac, thank God, in 2000 and <laughs> I think it was like 2008 or nine. All right. So you were an early adopter. So that's was awesome. Pretty early and I've always been on it and I, I can't understand people that are on PCs. I know, me either. Um, you've built successful cult- uh, consulting practice dedicated to Hispanic and Latin America segments. So always obviously had an eye on those who are underserved and, and where you can do good. Built an all-female executive team and just kicked ass. Like, amazing. You founded um, JT Children's Foundation, a not-for-profit that supports children, particularly disabled children, in Guatemala. Um, you are an in-demand speaker. You're killing it on um, in, in your practice. I love on your website where you can click for a one-hour no-bullshit conversation. <laughs> Freaking brilliant. Like that would make me sign up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody needs to, it's, it's just, that's the way it is, right? It's like, I, don't waste my time. I'm not going to waste yours either. Yeah. So, so what's that journey look like? How do you go from, you know, dreaming of owning a horse farm to, <laughs> you know, being a yeah. rock star executive who oh. really, you know, it's not just about making money. It's about servicing audiences and you got you clicked into that early like I look back at the work that you did early on in in that in that um in your agency and then as COO and then through the work you've done now and obviously the penny dropped for you early so how has that been yeah I I think for me um and first of all a couple you know backtracks um so I did start out in in the in the computer industry at Ingram Micro I actually dropped out of college so I'll give you that one first I dropped out of college to join a PC company that was actually repairing PCs, XTs, ATs, monitors, printers, you name it. And I came on as like a receptionist and ended up, you know, being an owner, one of the owners of the company. And then my um, co-founder <laughs> took all the money and sent it back to his parents. Like, yeah, it was one of those really fun situations, but, you know, taught me some great lessons. And I always had this, I can't fit in a box and I don't like being told what to do. And so I need to do it my own way and I need to learn and then I can teach or learn and then I can um, put it into a structure. So if I can do it first, I can definitely put it down in a structure. So COO hat is always kind of like jack of all trades in certain ways. But the the Ingram Micro, I was hired by someone who I'm still very close friends with. And he, I said, you know, thank you so much for hiring me because my career in that industry and, and beyond really was that one moment when you hired me. I said, why did you? And he said, you scared the shit out of me. You came with your little notebook and your glasses and you just were writing down everything I was saying and asking me all these questions. He thought, oh my God, she's she's asking way too many questions, but she seems smart. I'll stick her in this role. And it was really, really amazing. We went through a very big IPO. We were the largest IPO, privately held IPO before um, UPS went public. So it was really big. It was a Goldman Sachs led uh, IPO. So I worked with the strategy team and I was in major accounts, but it, it kind of set my course in the PC side and in new things. And then I was recruited by the same person 
to go to Internet Shopping Network, which was the precursor of Amazon. And um, uh, for Barry Dillard, that was under his his tenure and his time at HSN, he owned Internet Shopping Network. So he's like, okay, where else can I sell these things? And there's this whole new medium out there called the Internet. So this is early 90s, Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. So I got, I got to see all of the crazy pets.com, like all the crazy stuff that happened in Silicon Valley from, you know, the early nineties to like mid to late nineties. It was before the, the bubble hit. And then I was recruited again, different company friend who had been a client of mine um, to run an agency in New York that was um, uh, merging with another agency <clears throat> and the merger, you know, happened, but it didn't end up going very well for a lot of people, myself included. It was like, well, everybody else made money. I didn't make any money. And then I, you know, just launched out and started doing my own consultant work again. And so I went back to ISN. I consulted for them. I started consulting for Latin America companies. I was married to a Latino at the time. So hence I understood the market from that perspective. Right total gringuita, right, obviously, but I understood from that perspective how important family was, all that. So uh, Toro Bebe was just a windfall uh, based on a divorce. I was living in Miami. I got divorced. Someone said, you need to meet this woman, Jillian Sandler. And I said, there's a bazillion people here in, in you know, here in, in Miami. So you have to meet her. She's doing this thing, Toto Bebe. I think you'll understand it. I met with her and I literally stopped her for six months and just kept going to dinner with her, meeting her saying, hey, you know, I, I need you. You need me. I've worked with these Hispanic agencies. I understand it. You need a COO. I know you can't pay me. That's okay. I want to do it anyway. I see where you're going. And so it was her brainchild and another woman, Jeanette Kaplan, who's still a big blogger, influencer, mom in Hispanic market. Um, and they had started the company and Jillian had invested in it. And so we, four of us, and then we hired another executive producer. She came out at the same time that I did, Julia Dengond. And it was the four of us for uh, four years, just building the company together and with some contractors, right? And not making any money. None of us made any money, really. <laughs> I think I made 60 grand in like four years. But I had sold a house, so I had a little bit of capital to sit on. So that was the reason we were, I was able to do it. But the raise of the capital in 2008 is interesting because, of course, it was right before the crash right. happened. And we had a term sheet that, I, it, to this day, if you can build a company with your own capital, your own means, your own sweat equity, and not take capital on too early, you can write a term sheet that's actually very advantageous to you. And that's what happened. And that was really the brilliance of Jillian who is, is still a, a major investor in, and now she's in health tech but um, and privately investing. But it was really her standing by it and saying, no, I'm going to continue to work to fund this thing because I want to be able to write the term sheet that I want, that the company wants and needs to in order to get to the next level. Very hard to do, but very. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer to like that first question. No, that was, that was amazing. And that's exactly, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that, you know, my audience loves to hear. I, I hear back from them saying, you know, thank you for that because I really wanted to do this and I was afraid to do it because it was such a departure or, you know, like in, in, I, I, I relating a similar, not similar, but close to. So when I, I had a, I worked for IBM and, mm -hmm. you know, my parents, old school, you got a job like they were so thrilled when I worked, got merged into IBM through acquisition. Yeah. 
my mom thought that was just the best thing since sliced bread, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, my daughter works for IBM. This is amazing. It's the rest of her career. And I left to go work for a small startup agency. Mm-hmm. And she was literally mad at me. Like she was yeah. upset. She couldn't understand why I would leave big blue yeah. for something that was completely risky, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I, and I did it a couple of times, you know, went and worked for a couple of different startups and she just never got that. So, you know, we need to hear that particularly women. We yeah. need to hear that, you know what, take the risk. Sometimes it's going to work out. Sometimes yeah. it's not, but you're going to learn and that's, you'll move on. Yeah. I, my parents never understood what I did either. My dad would always say, you're on that cell phone now. You gotta, you gotta watch out. They're going to get you for calling. Thing. I said, dad, it's my company. I don't understand why you're saying that. That's what <laughs> company again like it was always they never understood why are you not working and you were at that big company before and of course my dad had worked at douglas for 30 years right so it was that consistency but it was very hard to explain to them i think for women though too jumping off and jumping out of something that's just not working anymore i feel i know a lot of women in my age group that are leaving corporate that have had it that are leaving corporate getting out and not all of them want to be consultants because you know it's also they think they do but then when they realize they have to be the salesperson to get the gigs and then do the gigs and then be the person to get the gig and then do the gig it 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 it's not always as easy as it looks for sure but i always find like the 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 best for me at least just personality wise is the the change and and the amount of different types of companies I've been able to work with and work for has has kept me really busy and really interested. And I think if I was sitting at a desk doing one thing all the time, it would make me insane. I I, I tried it once and I, I got fired. Yeah. They were like, this is not, you're not listening, you're not paying attention to like that because I'm really bored. I get bored too easy. Completely. Yeah. I hear you. That's one of the things, and I, you know, it's, it might sound trite, but I say to people, I, you know, I, it's a privilege that, you know, the work that, that my business partner and I, and I get to do and the companies we get to work with and the inner, like you get into the inner sanctum, like yeah. you see the, yeah. you know, the, the peeling mm-hmm. wallpaper and the, you know, <laughs> like the mess and the, you know, mm-hmm. the stuff they're trying to put under the rug a little bit, you know, so the optics externally, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody can handle that, nor get the importance of that. So it's, um, it's, it's great to hear you say the same thing that it's, you know, that's the variety that some of us just, you know, that's what we thrive on. I'm curious though, was there a defining moment, um, decision or action, something that really significantly impacted the trajectory of your career into one that's really anchored in taking risks and building new things? I, I think it's just the way that I learn. You know, I was never, I was good in school. I was a B student. But like, I'll give you a great example. I got an F in algebra. I couldn't understand X and Y, right? I just couldn't, I didn't know my brother was trying to tutor me. He's like, are you stupid? It's like, I'm like, but what is X? Is X like a glass and Y is like nail polish? Like, what do they mean? And he said, they're just X and Y, they're placeholders. And I I could not understand it. And now I, I was actually spent five hours yesterday working on a financial model. So obviously I needed the reason to go back and use it. And I think early on, I also realized that everything I needed to know, I could get out of a book, formulas, case studies, all these things. What I couldn't get was 
the enthusiasm and the ability to be a risk taker and to go do things that other people didn't want to do. And I think I always tried harder. I always, I always volunteered to do stuff because nobody else would do it. So I was like, she'll do it. And so I always got volunteered or I volunteered myself to do things when I was at larger companies, even um, because I was curious and I thought, well, nobody else wants to do it. I, I need to work harder because I didn't have the degree. So I always felt like I needed to, to continue to work harder to prove myself. Is that still something that, um, that you think about uh, not having the degree? Is that something that, you know, if, not anymore. I mean, it used to bug me. It bugged me for a long time. I think people would say things. They were like, oh, wow, you know, how did you have, how could you, you must have an MBA from Harvard. Where did you go to grad school? It's always been like, right. <clears throat> and I remember early on in my career, you know, fluffing a bit. Of course. You know, <laughs> bullshitting a bit about it. Oh, you know, da, da. and then I finally realized like, what, what am I hiding from? Like, there's been a lot of entrepreneurs in the world who never finished college. There's a bunch of them, in fact. Who never finished college, who dropped out of Stanford or MIT or didn't go, and they made billions of dollars for themselves and other people. So it's it's now now they were men, yeah, that was doing it right. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, like there's a lot, um, but I, I just finally realized, like you know, fuck it, sorry, but I don't care anymore. Like I think getting older also. You know, you also take those layers off. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't work for you. That's okay. It works for me. Yeah. The the old the old added it was it the um, those who care don't matter and those who matter don't care. Dr. Seuss. I love that. Yes. Mm -hmm. My favorite. One of my favorite philosopher. <laughs> so, what does your current role like look like? What's you know what gets you up in the morning? Some of the challenges, and are you finding that the compromises that you have to make now? Again, you know, it, it, I I truncated your intro. I could have that could have been a five minute intro with all of the things that you do. The writing, by the way, you're writing with Forbes. I am loving every article. The the oh, re the, your last one about the um the last we spoke to 14 or 15 people about the last piece of content they reused. Mm -hmm. I'm sending that to clients because it is something that we tell them all the time, right? It's about if you have a nugget, like beat the crap out of it, right? Like leverage it, use it. Repeat. Yeah. Scale. So, so what are some of the, you know, what gets you up? Are there challenges or compromises that you're making now that are different than say 10 years ago or when you first started out? Yeah, I think the, the, you know, the compromise is always the, the joy is I get to work, you know, from wherever. So that's, that's the compromise. I think some people, oh, you work at home. How do you do that? I'm like, it's really easy for me. I've always been working home a long time. I, I'm totally very self-motivated. I get it. Yeah. I think that the challenges, you know, can be in this economy, you know, budgets have gotten constrained and tightened. So from a consulting perspective, just straight consulting perspective, it's more difficult. Um, although they're not hiring FTEs and they still need to get the work done. So, you know, sometimes there's, there's great nuggets and that's why I would say economically it's, it's challenging right now, but I, it's a, it's a cycle that we're going to get out of. So um, I'm not worried about that. Um, I don't really, I don't have a compromise perspective. I'm trying to think what I compromise on. I don't compromise on my time anymore. I stopped getting crazy on the weekends and working, um, unless I feel like I want to get up in the middle of the night and do something, write something. So that happens in the middle of the night. Sometimes I'll get up and write. Um, but 
Yeah, the challenges way, I think it, I, economically, the challenges, I, but they're there for everybody, yeah. not just me. Um, clients are still clients. People still need to get things done. And I think now, you know, also being older, uh, I come in with that no bullshit attitude of like, look, there's a train, cut. you know, it, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You guys think it's a light. I know that it's a train. We need to get off the tracks. We need to pivot. We need yeah. to move. So I think the coming in and being able to be fresh and give perspective, but also have, you know, have a background of stories to go back to and say, hey, when I did this at Sony, this is what was going on there. Be able to pull those out of my quiver. Mm-hmm. It's super important that that tool belt has gotten, you know, quite large over the years. And the amount of people, you know, that I get to work with is, is incredible as well. Met lots of great people. Yes. Yeah. Not always great. There are some clients where you think, yeah. oh, if I'm going to keep working with them, there's going to be a PETA factor into that. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, like shit at the beginning, it always is. It's like, it, you know, you have that little flag that goes off and those are the clients that now I just say no to. Yeah. Or I make the price so high that they're just not going to, they're not going to do it anyway. Yeah. Or they'll, they'll come back and it's just, yeah, you you can't because you know, you get into it and you're just like, oh man. This is not worth the money or the time. Exactly. Yeah. It's not worth the time and the anguish and the angst for me. It, like put the money aside. It's not worth my brain power to do this and have, you know, be treated like that or be talked to like this or, you know, be diminished or, you know, have an unruly, but somebody who doesn't listen. That's the worst part is, a, you know, building a business and, and consulting with companies or building businesses or new or new properties or what it happens to be is giving the you can only give the advice and get them, get the teams on the same ground that you're on and get them going, but you can't run it for them. And when you walk away, lots of times it just, it falls off, you know, it falls off the trail and then, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that, well, that's the, that's the tough part. That's the tough part. You check in six months later and they are no further ahead or they call you a year later and say, Hey, can you come back? Remember when you did this? I'm like, yeah, didn't you execute? No, well, we had this thing and we couldn't quite get, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and then by that time, the market's changed. So the approach is changing too. Like what you did, that was a year ago. Now it's like, wow, we need to kind of go back. Well, no, we could do the same thing. It's like, yeah, but the market changed. So we really can't. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, important it's- for them, right? It's, it's okay. And it changes so quickly now. And it's okay. amazing how a strategy and a roadmap that you provided them a year ago yeah. is almost moot a year later. Yeah. Financial done anything. Yeah. Anytime you're doing like I do like a lot, not a lot of it anymore, but I used to do a lot more kind of performas and projections and stuff, especially yeah. for capital raise. Right. Um, and I, I used to go out five years and now I'm like, I laugh when someone gives me something out five. I was like, hey, you don't know what's five years. Like, give me a break. You barely know what two years is going to look like, let alone five. It, it's a, it's such a swag. Yeah. It's such, it's such a big BS swag, yep. you know? Yeah. But often the CEOs want it, right? That's fine. Show me six months and a year, but where are we going to be a five years from now? It's like, well, let me break out the crystal ball and see. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like in some of the planning though, too, in the strategy planning side, I, you know, when you can get their heads around, where do you want to be? Yeah. In five years, do you want to sell the company? Do you want to yes. merge it with another company? Are you For buying sure. companies? Yep. Like how, what is your 
big global vision look like? And then you back into the strategy and the numbers that way. It's not always correct, but at least if they've got their North Star, mm-hmm. which a lot of them don't. Well, that's they, a shocking thing, right? It's always a shock. It's like, oh, well, you don't know where you're going to be in five years. Well, do you want to leave this? Do you want to stay yeah. here? Do you, who do you think? How do you think that, you know, they don't know a lot of times. No. Um, so guiding them through that process is, is usually really um, a significant piece of work to do up front. Mm-hmm. They love like to skip over it, but it's really important. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like you are in the exact right space. Uh, you, you know, your, your point of view, your perspective, the experience that you've, you've gained and, and what you've leveraged to build where you're at today. But if you weren't in that culture, content, commerce, consulting space, helping companies just be better, yeah. what would you be? What, what, what's your alter ego? Oh, no, I, w- I would literally be I have a horse ranch. I would literally ride horses, breed horses, you know, ride professionally. That, that's what I would, that's what I would do. Nice. Barman, that's still a passion, an expensive habit, but it's, it's still a passion. Kind of hard to do in Manhattan, no? Yes, there's nothing here. <laughs> it's not in Manhattan. We don't have a car. You know, we don't want a car. It, it's it would be you know move to Connecticut or you know, and in the winter you'd have to have indoor arenas and all of that. And 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 it's not like it's not a cheap date. No, it's not the cost of the horse. It's the care and feeding. It's the shows. It's shoeing every six weeks. It's you know, I remember later like looked back at my childhood I was very lucky to be able to have a horse growing up and and we lived in the suburbs in Orange County in California like I had a surfboard and a horse and <laughs> you know no one at my parents weren't into horses and but I look back and think oh no, now I go oh god no wonder we didn't take like really big global vacations like because my parents were paying for this like exactly. they this is this is not cheap yes but even back in this like when talking 70s it was like you know five hundred dollars a month for boarding $500 a month for training. Wow. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Back then, particularly. It's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, so for our listeners, particularly the women in our audience, what would be your best piece of advice, whether it's life or career or happiness? Don't do it alone. Like, you know, talk to your friends, you know, make, make new friends, talk to other women who are, if you're in the business side that are building businesses, there's nothing better than sitting in a room, you know, commiserating and also strategizing because you never know, someone may need your expertise on something or your point of view on something. You may need something else from someone else, you know, getting into those kind of active listening and active conversations with other like-minded individuals, you know, they don't have to be in the, and actually not even in the same industry, I would say too. People that are outside of your industry are facing similar issues in different industries or different points of views. or di- And it's just, for me, that's been, you know, a godsend, I think. I, I like to talk to people. I like to communicate. So it's been easy. But And even during COVID, right, it was obviously more difficult. Nobody was meeting anybody. I still don't meet a lot of people in person. <laughs> Every once in a while I do, and I'm always, like, thrilled, yeah. you know, to go to lunch, to have, like, a coffee with someone, right? Um, but through, you know, through the, through LinkedIn, it's a great place to write. It's a great place to meet people. It's a great place to connect. You know, there's lots of opportunities there. There's lots of women's organizations. Mm-hmm. Chief obviously is a really big one, you know, but it's, it's not cheap. It's $5,600, I think a year, which a lot of people can't afford. And they have a huge waiting list now too. And they don't have um, an outlet in, in Canada. 
So yeah, they don't have an outlet. Yeah, they don't have an outlet in Canada. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's but there's there's enough of those things out there that I think you know you can or make your own. Yeah, set up your own networking group. You know. Yeah, that's a build your own if it's not available. It's a great great advice. Yeah. So where can our audience find you? I mentioned that you're a, you're a regular writer and contributor to Forbes. Do you have any speaking engagements coming up? Anything else where they can connect with you? Well, obviously, on this amazing podcast that I'm on, they're going to be able to hear me. So I'm going to be spreading that far and wide. Um, I don't have any speaking engagements coming up uh, right now, probably in the summer. And mm-hmm. then into the fall is when it really kind of, yeah. all those conferences really kick off in the fall. Um and LinkedIn, obviously, I'm there. I've, I, I, I try to answer my LinkedIn messages when I can. I find that LinkedIn now, oh, my God, there's just so much spam coming through the message side of it. It's just it's I, I lose messages in there from people that I want to talk to because so many other messages pile on. Yeah. You know, wanting to sell me something or a service like you don't know me. So why are you doing that? Um, just say hi. Get to know me first. Um that and then Forbes, usually it's monthly, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm also going to be doing Fast Company as well coming up. So, oh, will be the it, there'll be very, very different kind of perspectives and areas, but um, that's where you can get me. Well, Cynthia, this has been so amazing. Thank you for today's conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together, as I'm sure uh, our audience has as well. And so to my audience, thank you for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cynthia and hearing about building experiences and following your heart um, and, and taking chances can lead to fun, exhilarating and obviously an uber successful career and making connections along the way that last a lifetime. So if you're keen to hear more amazing stories from amazing women, you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net and listen to some of the other episodes. You can also sign up to our email newsletter, as well as check out the links and resources in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. 